everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Venus and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Here again with my co-host and Hall of Famer, Steve Flink. Uh, we started this long road. We're getting closer. We're inching closer to Roland Garros. Madrid is now complete. Rome is in what we're recording this Monday night, as we usually do. Uh, the, the Rome tournament starts another 10-day event, just like Madrid was in a couple days. Uh, you ready to recap Madrid and, and, and talk a little bit about Rome moving forward? Sure. No, it's a, it's, a, it's an exciting time in the clay court season that leading up to Roland Garros. And I'm ready to talk about both. Gladly. So, I mean, we kind of we, we kind of left it on a cliffhanger our last episode talking about Carlos Alcaraz playing Sasha's Vera because of the history that they had. Right. The year before Carlos trounced Vera in the final. But then a couple of weeks later, Zverev beat Carlos in that French Open. So now repeat of last year, basically the same result of last year in Madrid. Um, Carlos was just way too good for, for Zverev on that day. Yeah, it was even worse than last year. This time it was one and two. I, 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 Zverev looked very depressed when he went up with a handshake after the match. You know, he was a bit humiliated. Not that Carlos had behaved badly. He just had beaten, beaten him to a pulp and, and I think Zareb went out there believing he could at least keep it close and that he'd sort of sink his teeth into the match. It never happened. Didn't have a particularly good serving day. And Carlos was really primed for that contest. So surprisingly one-sided. And so the woes of Zareb continued, David. I mean, he's had a tough time. These close losses to Medvedev, a few surprising upsets. This is an opportunity to play Carlos again after having beaten him at the French last year, maybe reverse the result in Madrid and just didn't work out well for him at all. Combination of Alcaraz at his very best and Sasha at, I would say, somewhere at 70 to 80 percent, 75 to 80 percent. Not good enough. You know, when we were watching that match and I texted you after and, you know, it was, it was one of those, you know, how, how do you beat Carlos? And we're going to get into this later because Struff played him tough and we're going to get into that later. But I mean, there were some things that Struff did that that made life a little difficult for Carlos. And we're going to get into that in a bit. But. After viewing the Zverev match, which Carlos won easily, um, you know, we're saying, you know, how do you, how do you beat Carlos, right? You can't hit through him. He defends incredibly well. He's comfortable moving forward. He has great variety. And I said to you, it was almost like what people were saying, a young Rafa almost. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, listen, his he lost a set to Rusevori. He was in trouble against Rusevori at the start of the tournament down a set in two, three, five break points that would have put him down four, two. Then he, he really kind of took command in the rest of his matches, although there were always moments, four, two down in the second set against Dimitrov. He comes, he wins that set. Hatchinov almost had him two breaks down in their match. It was four, one with a couple of break points for five when Carlos rallies from two, five and runs out that set. So there were moments, but by and large, comfortable until the Stroop final. In the Stroop final, once again, it was somebody coming at him full force, David. And it's hard to execute. It's hard to, to find that level of controlled aggression that's necessary. But he, boy, he, Stroop did a terrific job of that and made it very competitive from beginning to end. Yeah, we're going to get into that in a, a little bit later. But yeah, I mean, you, you just see some of these matches that Carlos is winning and you're just like, where's the weakness, right? You have to find a weakness. Maybe Stroop had something that we're going to get into in a bit, but um, it's it's unbelievable what young Carlos Alcaraz uh, has done in his his young career. All right, let's switch over to the ladies' side. On Thursday, there was a semi intriguing semi between Maria Sakkari 
and Sabalenka. Sabalenka won that match 6-4-6-1. First set, both players absolutely just blasting the ball. Um, second set, Sabalenka run away, uh, ran away with it. But I want to talk to you about what Prakash Amitraj on Tennis Channel said after. And he was talking about Sakari. And he says things that I think you and I have discussed as well, and many other tennis viewers have said as well. But he, the way he phrased it was, was pretty well. He said, she does everything well. And you watch her on the practice court. She's amazing. There's no real weakness when you see her, right? So what does that mean? It means it's all between the ears. And I know you have said that. It's all mental with her, right? Because you look at her game, there's really no weakness when you look at ground strokes, volleys, Serve, yeah, serve has gotten a little bit better over the years, right? But um, it, it, what are your thoughts on what Prakash said? It really is, you know, mental with her. Yeah, mental. I mean, she's also, obviously, she's not the biggest girl out there. There, You know, there's... Strong, there's some, though. Very strong. Strong, but there are some with more powerful frames. You look at a Sabalenka. I, I, I guess if you want to really break it down to that, in that fine way, but uh, yeah, I'd say it's more mental. And I, I'd say that, I don't know whether this issue can be resolved. She's the kind of player I see constantly throughout the next three or four years. Constantly, you see her in the latter stages of tournaments, semis and finals, lots of quarters, keeping her Which right. is not bad for a career at all. <laughs> no, no. And maybe she squeezes into a Grand Slam final. But I just feel like there's somebody around the corner almost every time, whether it's a Swiatek, whether it's Sabalenka, uh, you know, whoever it might be. Now, she did play very well against Bedosa. So that was nice to see. And Bedosa has been hot, but I, I, I worry about, I don't know what her expectations are. I just feel like maybe she doesn't ever reach the very top, but she's always in the upper regions, which is no disgrace. No disgrace at all. Okay. Let's flip it back to the men's semi. And I, the, the, the intriguing semi was Karatsa versus Stroop. And, and why was that? Right. Why was that? Look, for those that don't know the history Karatsev played Struff in the in the qualifying draw, okay? This happens extremely rare, right? Karatsev actually beat Struff in the qualities, and he beat him pretty uh, convincingly, Steve, 6-4, 6-2. Now, you say, okay, Struff loses in qualities. How'd Struff even get into the main draw? For those that don't know, there's this thing called lucky loser, and a lucky loser is you, while you do get knocked out in qualifying, you still get in because another competitor, most time it's a, it's a person who qualified, they withdraw from the tournament because of illness or injury or, or another reason. So it's like a second chance. And that's how Struff got into the main draw. He then gets on a roll. So obviously Karatsev, they meet in the semis. And this time the result is reversed. Struff beats Karatsev 4-6, 6-3, 6-4. The other semi was kind of, you know, more one-way traffic. Alcaraz over Chorich. George had a good run, 6-4, six, 6-3. Six, but that semifinal rematch of what happened in a qualifying draw, extremely rare case, Steve. Rare. It reminded me, though, in some ways, David, of the year-end championships. A lot of times we've had rematches from the round robin into the final. A couple of years back, Zarev and Medvedev, where the result was reversed. In that case, but those are like those are like eight players. I mean, it's so much smaller. But but, but what I mean is, at this level, it's tough to Mm -hmm. beat somebody twice in that short a span. You're kind of feeling the it's it's just not easy psychologically to have to beat them a second time. And I think Karatsev was hurting a bit. Something going on with his leg, maybe maybe hampered him slightly. And then Struve had come off 
a, a series of really hard fought wins, including one in the previous round over Sitsipas. Yes. So I think he just had the confidence. It was great to see it. He's now at a career high ranking by getting to the final at 28 in the world. And he's 33 years old and it, you, you have to admire him. And boy, that final was just electrifying at times. And his tactics were tactics were perfect. The execution wasn't always uh, uh, wasn't impeccable every time out. But boy, he played it right. And he played made Carlos extremely uncomfortable at times. And and we're we're still gonna get there. We got about a minute. We got about a minute or two before we get to that final. Sure. We're making the sure. listeners wait. We're gonna switch back now. It's literally like a tennis match. We're gonna switch back to the women's final. And you know, at the end, we've talked for a while now. It's kind of this, you know, quote unquote big three, the three, you know, women on top, um, getting deep into tournaments more consistently now. And who is that? That's Viatek, Sabalenka, Rabakina. This time it was Viatek versus Sabalenka. Sabalenka wins this one in three sets, 6-3, These three players, and again, we've talked about like Jesse Pagula and those just outside those top three. Um, These three that I mentioned, Sviatek, Sabalenka, Rabakina, they're they're a little bit level ahead of the rest, no? Yes, they are. But as we also discussed, I don't put Rabakina quite up there on clay as I do once we get past the clay court season, she's going to do fantastic things. Get her, get her on the grass, going back to the try to defend Wimbledon should be great on the hard courts. I'm not as convinced about her game on clay as I am the other two. The other two wouldn't surprise me a bit if Sabalenka and Sriantek met in this Rome final and again in the Roland Garros final. Wouldn't be a bit surprised. So, and by the way, great effort from Sabalenka because it was a uh, for lack of a better term, a topsy-turvy match. It wasn't a typical 6-6-3, 3-6-6-3. They kept having these streaks of three-game sequences where one would get on a roll and the other would break back and win three games. So it happened in the final set. Three love, back to three all. Sriantec mm-hmm. makes the recovery, and you think maybe she's going to do it. And then uh, Sabalenka broke her again and closed out the match on a run of three straight games herself. But really terrific tennis. I do think, David, a quick... Capsule comment on that. The conditions in Madrid better for Sabalenka. The high altitude, the the speed of the of yes. the condition. I still take Swiatek on the slower clay of Rome or, or Roland Garros, but it was a very important win for Sabalenka psychologically to you know to avenge a, her loss to Swiatek not long before that in, in in another final. So I feel like that that will do her a lot of good. While I don't think it's going to dent the confidence of Swiatek that much. Hard-fought three-set match. She played really well. She looked pretty happy with her performance. And and in the end, yeah, she didn't like losing, but she knew how tight it was. So I think they both take something significant away from that match. Yeah, agreed on all points. Um, And it'll be interesting to see how those three players do, um, you know, going forward, Rome and in Roland Garros. So um, all eyes on that. Okay, now men's final, Rome. And, and again, I mean, I've, I've gotten some texts from people who aren't, you know, as crazy tennis fans as, as, as we are and a lot of our listeners are. But to, to have someone like Stroop who comes out of the qualifying and go toe-to-toe with Carlos Alcaraz, we've said it all the time, Steve. The depth in men's tennis, you know, is ridiculous, right? Everyone is so, so good down the line. And, you know, for a while, we just had these, these big three guys of Novak, Roth, and Roger. And then the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, they, they seem like, 
ways away from the big three, but you know, that's not how the world works, right? Everyone is so, so good. And this is an example of it. And you know, the, the, the first set, um, like you said, Struve came in with a great plan, always easier said than done, right? You could have the greatest plan in the book. If you can't execute it, that's the issue. But the one thing that I think is given Carlos headaches was that kick serve to the ad side with Struve being six, four, it wasn't yeah. getting high. And we'll, we'll put this on video. Yeah. So you see how I'm trying to hit a two hander way above my shoulder. He wasn't getting it out of Struve's comfort zone. And like no. you said, it was in his sweet spot and Struve was taking it right to Carlos. Oh, he, absolutely. No, his return. I also like the way Struve returned from the deuce court. Someone, Carlos tried to beat him with some speed down the tee at times. And that also was not working terribly well. He made Carlos do a lot of thinking. Unfortunately for Carlos, Carlos is an incredibly guileful player for somebody his age. I mean, he really does know how to think his way through great difficulties and he dealt with it in the end, but boy, I mean, every service game in the opening set was a struggle. He, he had the break, he gave it back. And then even when he served out the set, Carlos, it was five more love 40. He held from love 40, which again is very typical of him boys under pressure, but Stroop was doing the right things and putting him under pressure. Second set Stroop wins it. Could have almost gone up two breaks and then eventually. I thought I thought he was going to go away to, to lose a tough first set to Carlos yeah. six four and then right. he's up three zero right out. Struve's up three zero yeah. right out of the shoot. You don't typically see that with a lot of players against Carlos. Credit to Struve for doing that. No, and then he kept holding out. Had a long game to hold for four one. Got it almost broke again and then eventually closed it out. What was interesting about his on serve play? Uh, we've talked about his returning was a lot. Early on, a lot of serving and volleying. Then he didn't do it quite as much later, but he kept Carlos a little off guard with that. But as as Mark Petchy and Jim Curry were pointing out, and I hope I hope Struve's coach, coach will work on this. When you look at his backhand volley, the technique is not right. And he's such a big guy, and he's giving himself relatively easy backhand volleys. He made some of the tougher ones that were almost all just instinct and reflex and stabs. But yes. some of a higher back in volleys that he should have been able to knock off or angle away, it, you know, too much of a straight arm. The technique needs to be improved. But boy, he still, I like the way he had, had uns, he kept Carlos pretty unsettled. To, and he had the first chance to break in the third, by the way, and Carlos got out of that. That could have been, Carlos could have been down an early break, but might have made that set very different. But Carlos struck first and then he used his, what can you say, uses the, the, the great confidence that he has in himself over the last year. And he just believed he was the better player. And in the end, he proved that, but it was a, a great effort from Struve to, to go out there because he didn't know going in. He basically was saying, going in, look, I know I had those great matches with Carlos, you know, they played at Roland Garros, they played at Wimbledon and, you know, he'd done very well against him. You know, he'd beaten him once he'd lost another five, you know, five setter, but, he knew that he was playing a different Carlos from even the one that he played a year ago. And, and, and his feeling was, if I don't, if I'm not on top of my game, I could get killed. I think that's what he was really thinking going in. So he's got to be pleased that he did put up a top notch performance and, and he pushed Carlos to the hilt. And in the end, he loses on basically on one break in the third set was all it came down to. He's going to take, he's going to go forward with this. And I really want to see him, not so much just at Roland Garros because he's a, we know he, he can play well on clay, but the rest of the season, the Wim, Wimbledon with that big game. On faster courts, yes. Faster courts, the hard court season, you know, maybe he goes from 28. Wouldn't shock me to see him go somewhere between 15 and 20 in the world. 
And just to add to, to your thoughts, and this is more of a teaching lesson for those who play or coach, and Jim Currier mentioned it too. When you're serving to an ad side and you're trying to get that kicker up to a tall guy and it's just not working, one thing Jim Currier mentioned, and Carlos did it a few times to Carlos credit, um, go to the body. Go to serve into the person's right, body. Right. And that gave Stroop a little bit more difficult because, again, guys, big, big wingspan, they like to get their arms out there. If you go to the body, it gives them more problems. Carlos did do that a few times. It was more effective. One other thing, Steve, I wanted to throw well, out one thing, David, just one quick thing about that. I agree, but I, I, I credit Stroop because if that body serve was not located perfectly, he still hit some bullet returns off of that. I mean, you got to make sure you really crowd him. And Carlos did that most of the time. But I thought it was a really impressive returning performance was true, far better than anybody would have anticipated. Were you surprised? I didn't think Carlos hit a lot of backhands down the line during the match, which he usually does, which could open up the court all sorts of ways. He didn't hit a lot of backhands down the line. No, no, you're right. And he didn't drop shot that much. But I have to attribute that largely to the pace the pace and the depth of his shots was keeping Carlos on his heels. So maybe he just didn't have as much time to set up and operate the way he does against most other players, where you feel like he's sort of dictating the, the course of the match, the, playing the points on his terms. I felt like for the most part, he was not able to, you know, he had to react more than he would have wanted. So again, that just shows you to me how well Stroop played yesterday. So let me ask you, and we've seen Sinner beat Carlos in some, you know, fantastic matches. Was how Struve played, is that maybe the strategy going in? Now, again, it depends who your player is, right? Not everyone can play like Struve played, but is that the best bet to maybe go after Carlos, go big or go home and, and, and play short points? Struve had no interest in playing long rallies, and I don't blame him. <laughs> I think it is. And uh, I, 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 I believe it is. We've seen it with Sinner Rusevori. No, I mean, you, you really got to come at him with a lot of pace and depth and take his rhythm away and take his time away. That was done yesterday. Yeah, I think so. On the other hand, easier said than done. Oh, and so much in, easier said than done. <laughs> and Struff naturally plays that way. He likes to play that way. For a lot of other guys, they have to come out of their comfort zone. Yeah. Take, take chances that they'd rather not take but otherwise they're just going to get destroyed. And well, that's I, the red, right? I mean, what's the downside of taking risks yeah. that you, you may be not comfortable right. doing. If you play your normal game, you're going to lose anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, we'll, it's, we'll see. All right. So we got Carlos Rome, uh, Roland Garros, Novak. Now, should we go to, well, let's, before we go to Rome, before we go to Rome, there was something interesting. And we talk about the depth of men's tennis and I know this isn't normal, but the challenger, there were a couple challenger events that happened this time. And you had an Andy Murray, Tommy Paul final. And if you said that to, you know, Andy Murray and Tommy Paul final in a challenger, people not knowing what's going on, people look at you like you're crazy. But because of the schedule and because of how it worked out, yes, Andy Murray did play Tommy Paul in a challenger final. Andy won that match, 2-6-6-1-6-2. Steve, he's ranked number 42. That's like his best ranking in five years before his surgery, I believe. Yeah, no, it's remarkable. I have to say, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have picked that result, and I certainly wouldn't have picked two six six one six two. I might have, I might have picked two six seven five seven six. Yes. So that I would love. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to dig up, see if I can find something on YouTube. I want to see how Andy pulled it off that decisively the last two sets, but it obviously was was a real morale booster for him. Probably a little disappointing for Tommy. 
who I think went in probably ex expecting to win and certainly didn't expect to lose the last two sets so decisively after obviously starting so well. But it's it's a great booster, Andy, who, who obviously is hoping to push it up even further because then he could put himself, he keeps having these good results and he has a decent role in Garros. He could, have, could get himself seated, if not seated at Roland Garros, which probably seems less likely to me, he could get himself seated at Wimbledon, which would mean a lot to him. It's just, you know, these draws and, you know, with Clay and I know Andy just won a challenger, right? But like for him to do well at Roland Garros, you know, it's just going to be difficult. I mean, we don't even know oh, the draw, no, obviously, but, but it's going to be I, really hard. Oh, it is. And but what I'm saying is I wouldn't shock me if he kind of, if he sort of willed his way through two, three matches, maybe get to the round of 16 with some hard fought victories, but even that would help in terms of the ranking. So he, He's just trying to get himself up those 10 notches from 42 to 32 so that Wimbledon, he's, he can have a couple of rounds facing non-seeded players and try to get his teeth into the, in the tournament that way. Yeah, let's hope so. Another name I wanted to mention, who also won a challenger, Sloane Stevens. And Sloane, I mean, for you know, she's really had a tough go of it uh, the last few years. Such a wonderful person. I've actually had the person who runs her foundation on the pod a couple of years ago, who's great. Sloan does so much good work um, for her foundation. Just a great person. Always seems happy. At times, she has just seemed miserable. She just seems miserable on the court. Um, I know there was some family stuff going around about a year ago, I think, um, with maybe her one of her grandparents or whatnot. But she's really had a tough go of it the last couple of years. She won the challenger this past week. So maybe this will spur her on to better results as we move forward to it. Let's hope so. Yeah, I would think it would because on the top tier event, she hasn't been, she hasn't really been herself for quite a while. And you think back to what we saw from her back in 17 and 18, <laughs> winning the open finals of the French finals of the year end championships, that's 18 season. Those were great seasons for her. She's had trouble living up to that since, but I, I get the feeling she's, this one might catapult her again. I mean, at least, to see Sloan, let, let's let's get her back in the top 20 in the world. I mean, I, I'm convinced that she belongs in that territory. And this will be a, a substantial confidence boost for her to win that, that event. Let's hope so. All right, let's talk Rome. Unfortunately, we all know, still know Rafa. Let's start with there. Let's start there, Steve. He's never played the French Open with no prep. He's never done that. Um, well... Yeah, never. And not only that, not having played since Australia. Right. <laughs> the play up through Indian Wells and he was only and he didn't have clay court matches, but he had matches a couple of months ago. He hasn't played really. So we're going back to January. And that was the second round of the Australian. And then here he is still searching for answers here. I don't know. I'm not confident now about him playing Roland Garros. Obviously, he'll play if he feels he's physically up to it. Maybe the scenario might be that he finds something the week before. I don't know because he's never liked to do that in the past. Is he playing an event the week before Roland Garros? He could think about it, but it just, it looks pretty bleak to me, at least in terms of Roland Garros. It doesn't mean that his career is over, but no. it means that he, that his desire to get back and win a 15th at, at Roland Garros this year is looking highly unlikely. And then the question will be, could he get ready in time for Wimbledon and the summer and the hard courts and, and back to the U.S. Open. I, I don't know. It's It's been a very arduous road for him. He's been very unlucky with his latest hip injury, keeping out keeping him out much longer than he had been told it would. 
Well, let me ask you this. Let's just stick with Roland Garros. Let's say he doesn't play a warm-up event. Um, now, even if he does the week before, I'll even give you that. Is he is is he in your top three favorites to win the tournament? That's a good question. Uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe top five. I I, I maybe just feel, maybe. I mean, I'm still putting Carlos. I'm and, and depending on what we see from Novak in Rome. And I'm putting Sitsipas in there somewhere too. Uh, I I don't know, maybe maybe Rafa, but he'd be a distant four or five to me. He wouldn't be it because I just feel like you, he's and he's also going to be worried about possibly re-injuring him. He's just not going to know what to expect. And practice is just not the same as match play. So and he knows and it. it's three out of five. You're not even going into a two out of three event. Right. And and in the past, three out of five was really for his opponents, was the right. was a scenario they it was to Rafa's advantage five. right it was to Rafa's totally advantage because advantage you didn't want to play him in best of five right now given what he's been through he just doesn't have the same building advantage in that format so I you, you got to feel for him it's been a, it's been a tough you know path. he wants to play it Steve you know he yeah. wants to try but he doesn't want to humiliate himself either it'd be pretty disappointing to go there and lose in the second round I know that seems ridiculously unlikely at this point but after what he's been through, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know what we would expect from him, whether he could get near the level he would need to be. to. That's interesting to make- you said that. That's interesting you said that. It would be interesting to see if he loses. Let's say he, he plays, right? He tries. You know he wants to. Let's say he loses the second round. Next year he's healthy, and let's say he wins it. You think he looks back at this tournament like a, like second round is whatever. He was hurt. He would be able to forget it, yes, but I don't think he can look that far, David. I think in his mind, you know, he he doesn't he doesn't know. I mean, he's going to turn thirty seven, so he'd be coming back to Roland Garros next year. He'd be looking at thirty eight. I don't know whether he believes that's necessarily possible. So that's why I think he's trying so hard to find a way to play it this year, yeah. because he, he he feels he could be possibly gone next year that it might not it, it, he, he might have decided to retire by then so all those mm-hmm. things have to be traveling around his mind and making the decision all the more difficult good points there yeah very good points okay here's crazy thing and i mean when you think about it it's true but when you read about it it was like whoa that is true rome will be the first tournament of the year with both carlos and novak in the draw that's crazy yeah, it is. I mean, you think about it. Started a course where Carlos had gotten hurt at the end of last year, and then he got re-injured again, kept him out of Australia. Novak wins Australia. Then Novak only played one tournament in Dubai after that. Carlos re-emerged on the clay. He got hurt. Okay. Djokovic is not in Indian Wells in Miami. Carlos wins one, semis at the other. We figure Monte Carlo. No, Carlos pulls out of Monte Carlo with an injury. Then we they could have been in the in the Madrid draw together, but Djokovic was out in Madrid and trying to come back in Rome. So there we are, finally at long last. Now the hope is to keep them both healthy. Now they've had so many injuries, each of them, that that we could find because we only had the one meeting last year in Madrid. I mean, and that's the last. So even last year was scattered because Novak wasn't at the U.S. Open when Carlos won the Open. So right. these last two slams that they split, neither one had to go through the other. And they haven't played anywhere else either. So I think the public, all of us are thirsting to see them play. And again, that crazy stat, and and we hope this doesn't happen, but if Rafa and Novak do not play Roland Garros, obviously Fed won't be there. That would be the first slam since, what did we say, 1999 
that the big three has not been in a slam. But hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully we'll get one and hopefully two to play. So um, the well, it's, a just good sign. it's a good sign that Djokovic is is there is going is entered. He didn't pull if he had, if he had pulled out, that would have been very worrisome to me. That if he had pulled out of Rome, you're talking about pull out of Rome. Rome. That would have been worrisome to me about any good prospects for Rolling Girls. On the other hand, we don't we still don't know which whether we're going to see the Novak who was only a shadow of himself in right. Monte Carlo in Bosnia, where he won one match in each tournament, or are we going to see the the the, the essential Novak who who was on top of the world winning winning his 10th Australian Open title at the start of the year. So I think it's a really crucial tournament for him. That doesn't have to win it, but he really wants no. to play well and go deep into the draw and feel and like be healthy, feel healthy going through it. Feel healthy and play, be much closer to the top of his game and then go to Roland Garros on the ascendancy. But if he were to lose early again and the elbow was acting up, unless I don't even want to think about that. <laughs> yeah, let's not. Um, yeah. The draws just came out. The women's draw came out yesterday. Uh, the men's draw just came out a few hours ago. When, when uh, on the on the women's side was interesting. Possible second round. Anz de Boer against Paula Bedosa, who we just mentioned briefly on the spot. Bedosa was hot, right? She beat, she crushed Coco, and then yeah. um, Sakari beat her in straight yeah. sets. Yeah. Um, I know we don't like to look too too far into the draw. Anything on the draw, men's or women's, that you want to talk about, or we'll just kind of wait until we do the next one? Yeah, I think it looks to me like a well-balanced draw. I mean, I look, for instance, at Carlos's draw. I don't see it. I, I, I don't see any half beating him. Novak has a, has a tricky half in a way. He might have to play Holger Runa. He might have to play Sinner. It, 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 it it looks intriguing to me, but nothing stands out alone. I want I just want to see how it plays out. And again, we just don't know who's going to have the letdown. You know, is Felix going to finally find some form? There's a lot of, of yeah. imponderables when it comes to, to Rome, which is going to be a very important event for many of the players as, yes. they, set, as they set their sights on Roland Garros. No, it'll be interesting. Like you said, Felix, right? Where has he been, right? I know yeah. he's been hurt. We haven't heard yeah. his name as of late. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, and we'll do another one, and we'll get we'll get more into the substance of, of Rome as that tournament starts. One other thing I want to mention, and and you know, I've had a, um, a lot of coaches on this pod, a lot of college coaches, but the uh, the NCAA team championships are going on, which is always fun for me, more so than the individuals, just because the team atmosphere around it and everything. The NCAA is both the men and women are in their round of sixteen, and I have some of those relationships and some friends who are coaches there so i wish all the teams best of luck there uh they got the round of 16 i think some play friday some play saturday and then they have the quarters and then obviously the semis and finals so if you have if you're near an area where you can see some of this definitely go college tennis is it's very different than watching pro tennis the environment's completely different um i guarantee you'll have a fun i guarantee you'll have a fun time watching it even if you're not uh, even if you don't have a rooting interest towards one of the two teams, it's a very fun atmosphere to be a part of. So I will always um, prop up college tennis when I can. Steve. Oh, no, it's it's great. I, I have great memories, David. I was lucky enough to call four or five times for ESPN, do the commentary at the NCAA championships, the individual, mm-hmm. when it was played in Athens, Georgia. You know, Great environment. Great environment. Great environment i saw fern forge win there and then he of course he went on to get to the finals of the of the french yeah and, uh not you know a year or two later so it, it i have great memories of the spirit of, 
uh, of that event. So I, 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 I second your enthusiasm. Let me put it that way. Ah, well, that's great. Yeah. Again, if you, if you have an opportunity to go see it, definitely go, you'll, uh, you'll, you'll have a great time. All right. What, what did we miss? Anything else we need to, we need to talk about? No, I think, I think we've covered a lot of ground. I'm, I'm just patting, patting both of us on the back. I think we touched just about every base. Well, we are almost to our second slam. God, this the clay court season to me, it always seems so long once it first gets started, but um, we're close. Well, we're last close. point, David, last point I want to say that we address Novak. Carlos has to be careful. Carlos has come off successive tournament wins here. He's played a lot of matches in these last two events, you know, after having had a brief injury break and missing Monte Carlo. But he needs to, he wants to make, Absolute certain. I don't think physically he was 100% at Roland Garros last year, even though he skipped Raw. But that's because he'd done so much hard work from yes. Indian Wells and Miami on through the clay court season. He seems to be pacing himself well, but he, he's got to be careful in Rome. I, the last thing he needs is an injury now because he's looking like he'll be the, unless Djokovic manages to win Rome, I, I, which is possible. Uh, I, I would make Carlos the, the, the favorite for Roland Garros. I'd put him alone at the top. And as of today, as of today, Monday night, the difference between number one and number two is five points. Novak is yeah. still number one, but it's five point differential. So. Well, Carlos just, has, Carlos just has to play that first match. I, I see. It, literally, he could even lose it as long as he he plays and plays Rome, it. <laughs> he'll pass Novak because Novak is protecting the one thousand. Frankly, at this point, I don't think Novak cares that much and be, you know i think he's more uh, pointing toward trying to win those majors yes and i think carlos will be doing the same thing and then mm-hmm. potentially if they move as we get through roland garros and wimbledon where Djokovic would go back looking for an eighth title uh they, they could they could still end up going back and forth during the season carlos goes back to the u.s open protecting all those points of winning the u.s open where novak didn't play last year so we could see a lot of fluctuation that that number one ranking could be wrestled back and forth between the two quite a bit over the course of the season. Could be. Yeah, no, it could be. And Hey, I want to give a, a, a heads up to the listeners. We are scheduled to have a fun guest coming up with Steve and myself um, for later this week. So if it goes according to schedule, we'll probably release that one with our fun guest. You guys will like it. I promise. And then we'll probably do something, whether it's, you know, in the latter stages or Rome or after um, Rome, we'll definitely do a wrap up. So for all those listening, thank you. And uh, stay tuned. We got we got some fun episodes coming up. Thanks again. Steve. Thank you, David.